بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet peace be upon him okay so last we spoke in our exciting program we were we were speaking of ayah 221 surah 2 ayah 21 which is this ayah giving us the very first command and you all see the the quran on your screen yeah right here okay and so this first command when i open up from page one of the quran when i open up the mushaf this is the first command that i come across and we discussed that this makes sense that this would be the very first instruction because it's essentially all encompassing and what is the command telling me to do it's telling me to have the disposition that not only will i obey whatever it is that Allah is telling me to do, but I will also see it as beneficial. I will see it as nurturing. I want to draw attention then to the latter part now. He created you as he created those before you. One aspect of this is we see this relationship that we have with God, the creator. So let me ask you this. The God of Islam, the God of Christianity, the God of Judaism, the God of Hinduism, so forth and so on, are they the same God, why or why not? How would you answer this question? Dun, dun, dun. The answer is so, obviously yes and no, but yeah. Who's just speaking just now? Awesome. Someone else had started speaking so they can go ahead. Yeah, but I don't see who it is. All right. Um, I, I would say in, uh, in origin, yes. In modern practice, no. Okay, explain further. Um, so in theory, every uh, religion that was brought by a prophet was what we call Islam. And so like, uh, Judaism and Christianity are, are just are kind of offshoots of that. And perhaps Hinduism is a, a further offshoot, like a like a further out offshoot of it. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but like, I know that like, at least uh, sort of Abrahamic faiths um, that they are all supposed to be what we now call Islam. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're saying that what the central figures brought originally was Islam and thus same God, but what we have today is not. Any other thoughts? So in, in, in uh, Quranic... Uh, oh, Quran, yeah. Uh, in Quranic uh, context, um, uh, when we see that... Uh, uh, we have people like Ahlul Kitab, right? And um, and we have... So, uh, translate, translate for everybody, what is Ahlul Kitab? So, yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, so, Ahlul Kitab is uh, basically before that, uh, uh, the emphasis is mostly on the Ibrahim and uh, Prophet Ibrahim and progeny of Prophet Ibrahim. Uh, and uh, uh, most of the part, like, except for a few that you have uh, uh, some, uh, like, uh, uh, Shoaib and Nu. But uh, so uh, uh, Prophet Ibrahim and progeny and Prof Prophet Ibrahim. And so what I understand, so the Ahlul Kitab are the people who were the following uh, followers of the revelation of Torah, Zubur, Injil. Um, those are the people. Okay. So what does it say about their God? And so their God is the same as the uh, God of Ibra Abraham, right? Ibrahim. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, so is the prophet is also from the progeny of uh, prophet muhammad is also from the progeny of prophet ibrahim so that one thing is for sure they all follow the, the is the same god which is the the uh, uh, god of ibrahim okay uh, whether they are christians or jews or ahlul kitab uh, in quranic terms okay. or the muslims in quranic terms which are the followers of the prophet muhammad peace be upon him any other thoughts Sheila. Um, I just wanted to um, respond to what Asim had said. Um, like, I kind of feel like it's um, implied that like what we have now is Islam, but like the Christians change their religion. I mean, I know that there, there's verses that, you know, kind of refer to that, that they change the message. Um, but I think there are Christians and Jews that are really truly practicing what we would call Islam too, Right. And those would be the people that we would consider Ahlul Kitab. And there's, you know, just within Islam also, like there's a whole range of, you know, people that are, you know, that might have changed the religion and are practicing something else, too. So I don't think that Islam is any different. Like our modern day Islam is any different than modern day Christianity, modern day Judaism or whatever religion. There's a range of, um, you know, how much is the true message within any religion, I think. And even, you know, I, I have a friend who's Baha'i. Right. And so that's a different perspective than, you know, it's easy to say, okay, Islam is the final religion and everything before you guys just didn't get the full message or you change the message. And then what about Baha'ism? And I don't know really how to understand that. Like somebody said that they came after Prophet Muhammad. Um, So anyway, just wanted to put that out there. Okay, but that doesn't uh, answer the question about uh, is the God the same God? Yes. Or you think it is? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Ahant. Dr. Ahant. Um, I guess a way to think about this is, is a viewing Islam as an ontological religion. Like oh, big words. Continue. Please define this big word for us. Um, ontological is the, 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 or the original from the beginning of time, time and space as we perceive it. Um, And since, you know, we believe um, that there is no other, there's no other uh, uh, possibility like of a, of a God besides Allah. um, I think this can also mean that there is no other true religion besides Islam. Okay. In its original form. Okay. So what does that mean for, uh, the God of Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, and such. Same God, different God. You're saying it's not possible to have a different God, therefore they're all the same God? Yes. Interesting. Awesome. You got to raise your hand. Um, yeah. I uh, First of all, thank you, uh, Shella, for that uh, reflection. I really appreciate it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think in relation to uh, are the gods the same, the reason I said uh, not in modern practice is because example um there there is a a fundamental difference between the way we perceive god and the trinity right and so i I think in a sense yes like i i i totally understand what you're saying but i think in in terms of and i guess it depends on how we're defining god as well right is it is it the way people practice or is the question that i'm asking yeah um 
Yeah, that was that was really interesting, though. Thank you for the reflection. I appreciate it. Okay, Dr. Man, I'm sorry. <clears throat> hey, it's not like a, um, I think yeah, it along the lines of uh, what Asim was saying and sort of what everyone else was saying. Like, I it's hard to you know the only way we can define God is sort of through our texts and traditions, right? Like, uh, we sort of define Allah's how Allah defines Himself you know, to us through the Quran, through the prophet or what, what we've sort of been taught. So, you know, I remember you, you talking fundamentally, each faith has a different idea of, uh, of like what God is, so to speak. So I think like, yeah, Allah is Allah. Like we can't, I don't think it's on us to say, is it, is it the same? But I think each, each tradition does seem to define what that means very differently. You know, so in one sense, yeah, it's the same, but I think they are very distinct. So you're saying they are the same, but they're not the same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tawseef. Assalamu alaikum. So I just, I mean, I agree with the fact that in the operation of reality, there is one God. Okay. Right? Um, our various theologies break it down differently, kind of like what Anand's saying. But just on top of that, um, building on that, I think each one of us kind of has a perception of Allah that we build and create and imagine in our heart of Allah. Keep going. Um, and that is influenced by our various theologies. Okay. So, uh, you know, we talked about Rabb. And I know in the past, you, you've made the point about how Allah or, or God is referred to as Ab um, in um, Judaism and Christianity and, and how that affects the relationship. Um, okay, so then here's a test for all of you. <laughs> if we're arguing that it's the same God, then all of you in the class who are self-identifying as Muslim, in your du'as, in your supplications, pray to the God of Christianity. Is that the same? What do y'all think? No. Okay. Any other thoughts? Uh, guest I one. Uh, guest one, can we, uh, can we get your name? Um, so I would say that it's not the same God. Like if I were praying to a Christian God, my dots would be very different because yeah. I think Christians, they've come to view God as a very punishing no, 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 no. I'm saying you self-identifying as Muslim, paying, praying to the God of Christianity. Is oh, yeah, that the same? I just want to pray to the Holy Trinity. Okay, so you're saying it's not the same God. Uh, so not human okay, divine. sorry. Okay, sorry. You continue with your point and then we'll yeah. Okay, so I was saying like I would make my is a lot more about forgiveness and salvation because Christians seem to view, or the Christians that I've met that are devout, seem to view him as a very punishing God. Um, and I guess that's probably passed down how the religion has transformed. Um, and Judaism is kind of along the same lines, but more of a passive God. So I think my da'as would change a lot in just what I'm asking, what I'm focusing on. Okay, okay. Okay, so we are sort of zeroing in on the attributes that we're giving uh, attention to in defining God. Uh, Sarah Fadlallah. Um, so I just want to chime in. Um, uh, 
and say that um, I think that it is the same God in both of those questions that you posed, and I don't see them as separate. Um, I see maybe 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 some discomfort from um, the notion of do you pray to the Christian God um, just makes us feel uncomfortable, but I think in reality that's like the, the truth and like the core of it is that the, that God is all still the same God and we can still believe that our four religions did teach the correct message okay. and over time it's been changed. So yes, I, w- I would still pray to God if it's like, oh, I'm praying to the Christian God. Well, you know, I'm praying to Allah okay. who happens to do Christianity before mine. But like at the end of the day, I don't, you know, refer to Allah as Jesus, etc., and things like that. So it's okay. only like theologically that it's a little different, but it's the same God. That's okay. what I think. All right, let me add uh, another dimension uh, to, to make the conversation even more fun. Uh, <clears throat> what about uh, you have someone, so where I am, you have a Catholic priest, a Jesuit priest leading the prayer okay, and is speaking of God as God not Jesus, is leading the prayer and is praying to God, uh, do you participate in that prayer? And this is, you don't have to answer this immediately, but Whitney. Hey, Salam. Uh, yeah, I would participate comfortably in that prayer. Okay. Um, I, I think, I think, I mean, it's, I'm biased. I'm a convert. And um, as a convert, I feel comfortable in many religious spaces. Um, and also, I think as long as it's a monotheistic God, then it fits my definition of God in a general framework. But I, I purposely chose Islam because I think it's the most correct lens. Um, yeah. And that's just, you know, from my perspective, doing my due diligence with all my biases and all of that. But I think, I think the thing is, you know, if they like when we look at the names of Allah, we're seeing names that are reflected in other faiths as well. Like we have names that that give like a punishing aspect and names that give a merciful aspect. And you see the same thing in the Old and New Testament and the, the same thing in the Torah. And so, like, I don't know. I think there's a lot in other religions that go along with it. Um, it's, you know, but there's uh, like a limit to that, I think. And when we get into like polytheistic religions, then. I think that's kind of a direct, um, a, a direct conflict with some of our beliefs. So it stretches me a little too far to have a good argument there, but okay. that's my general. Okay. Now, same scenario, but let's say the Catholic priest, the Jesuit priest is praying to Jesus. Everything the same? Um, so in those cases, I've been a part of those cases and um and i i go along with the prayer but in the case of like where they're saying like in jesus name then i just quietly would no just i just be like you know allah or you know i, I wouldn't like be super rude or anything i try to be respectful but um because you know i've like worked with christian chaplains in hospice settings for example and so there's all kinds of prayers and i'm not going to even make it above like the smallest of whispers that I'm disagreeing with this prayer in that way. <laughs> but, but at the same time, like, I think there's value to that prayer and I can see the value in, in the humans around me that really need that prayer in that moment, you know? And so I join in. And although 
you know, working, I did that work in central Illinois and, uh, and as they're making a prayer, exactly nobody noticed that I'm holding my hands up in dua rather than together in a, in a Christian version of prayer. And since nobody noticed, they, they'd never commented in the fact that I was doing, like joining that prayer differently, but I, I still saw, I still felt that there was value in that prayer. Uh, yeah, I think I would comfortably participate in the prayer in the first scenario. Um, I think Catholic priest praying to God. To God. Um, I think one, one of the questions is actually about the prayer itself. Because if we, like, one of the things I think you said day one, and you've definitely said in classes before, is that the purpose of the Quran is for us to have an appropriate relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Right? And so uh, then if we, if we accept that there is a, a way to have an appropriate relationship with God, then engaging in a prayer that is rooted in an inappropriate relationship with God is maybe questionable. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm sort of wrestling with right now. Okay. Tosif, Sarah. Um, I actually lowered my hand. I oh, kind okay. of agree with Whitney's take, also having worked in, in hospital chaplaincy settings. Okay. Sarah, Fadlova. Um, so I, I actually really appreciate it. Um, I did not catch her name, but the, the love of Whitney, what Whitney was saying um, about like, almost taking the prayer that is being given to you, whether it's to God in the Jesuit priest case or to Jesus Christ, um, and kind of like amending it personally. But then my only like concern is, um, are we counting on the intention of who is leading the prayer or are we relying on the intention of yourself okay. and which one outweighs it? Because like, you know, in, in Islam, at least, like the intention of the prayer of the imam can count for your intention, sort of. Mm -hmm. Like, although you do make an intention too. So it's sort of like, I don't know, you could pray in those instances, but then, like, you know, um, correct it, so to speak, by putting, like, you know, a love kind of out of Some of those prayers are really good that they mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, I suppose that's, that's, that's a question I'm posing to you in the sense that. So to give you my answer, I do not participate in those prayers. Uh, I give full respect to that which others regard as sacred. Uh, but if someone is praying not as a Muslim, then I may remain silent, but I don't participate in the prayer. Right? Uh, if someone is leading as a Muslim, then I participate in the prayer. And beyond that, I leave it up to Allah Ta'ala. Uh, Dr. Ahant and Sheila. Um, and, you know, I feel like off your, uh, your point, I feel like that is also the importance of, you know, you know our prophet, if we get into the game of just worshiping one God, there's many ways to do that. Mm -hmm. But we genuinely believe that the way that the prophet, worship that one God is the finality and the perfection of the message. So if we're thinking through that lens, then I guess I wouldn't be comfortable either, you know, participating in vague monotheistic prayers because we don't know the preservation of that tradition like we know ours. Okay, okay. All right. 
Shayla and then Dania. So, yeah, I liked, um, you know, the point that Sarah brought up. The question is like, you know, if you're following someone's prayers, like even if the Imam is Muslim, like how do you know, like why would you necessarily follow that person and not another person who believes in God? I don't know. Mm. I, I don't understand how you wouldn't if they say I'm praying to God, like every Muslim has a different idea of God also, right? Even though we've been given the same book, like some might see him as more punishing. Some might see him as more Rahman, right? Like, so everybody has a different idea. So if you're going to follow somebody, why would you say, you know, that this Mus this person happens to be, they call themselves Muslim, but they might be, have this idea that God is punishing. And my idea is more that God is loving. So my prayers might actually be more aligned with that particular Christian that's praying. So, um, okay, sorry, sorry. So it really depends on the, the words, I guess, of the mm -hmm. prayer. And yes, I, I agree. Like when I get, if they, you know, it's a beautiful prayer and then at the end, and then they say, and we pray this in Jesus. And I'm like, oh, why did you have to go and ruin the prayer for me? Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I'll follow along up until that point, you know, mm -hmm. it resonates with me and I've had beautiful, you know, I've participated in very beautiful prayers that way. So, I mean, I work among, I work in campus ministry. So, but, so the point is that if someone's, uh, announced creed or no creed is the Shahada, then it's the same God for me. If someone's creed is the Nicene Creed, I hope it is the same God, but I don't participate in the same prayers. And so it could be that this Catholic priest and I, we jive much more than this Muslim Imam and I. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we all have experiences like that. But what is their stated creed? You know, and very commonly, even in our department, people, uh, when we're having our prayer at the beginning of campus ministry meetings, in fact, I'm supposed to do it on, on Wednesday, um, uh, only the Protestants will, will go so far as to say, in Jesus' name, all the Catholics will, will say, you know, prayer to God and so forth and so on, um, out of courtesy for, for, for me and, and, and the Jewish life director, right? But I still don't participate in the prayer, so, nor do I expect them to participate in mine. I don't think anything is lost uh, in the, uh, that way. So, uh, Dania Zeba Malahat. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum um, salam rahmatullah. I have a couple questions for you. So, first, how are you defining participating in prayer? Mm -hmm. And then the second question I have for you is Is there a ruling or something? I don't know a, a better word for ruling, but uh, of are we allowed to be present in the room? Are we allowed to participate in that prayer? Um, I know there are several people um, were mentioning um, working in healthcare. And similarly, I had um, just last week, I walked into the patient's room and the pastor was visiting with her and he was like, okay, before I leave, let's pray. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to walk out of the room. I felt like that would be disrespectful. Um, so you pulled out your yeah. prayer rug and you started like just <laughs> ch -ch -ch. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but he did include me in the prayer, like, mm -hmm. oh, I hope you know God's healing hands work through you, um, which I mean is fine if if that makes her more comfortable and and you know helps her feel um, better about the situation and visiting with her pastor. But also, I mean, is that something? Should I be doing something different? I'm not aware of any ruling that says you'd have to leave the room. Um, at, at most, it's 
Um, it's that you uh, respect that which others take as sacred for them and not interfere with their sacreds, right? Uh, I'm not even going to say that all those of you who are, who are doing things different than me are, are wrong or anything like that. I'm saying, here's what I do and here's what I don't do. And uh, I think it's perfectly fine. Uh, um, depends on the setting and your comfort with everyone else for you know, a person to make a prayer in their tradition and then another person to make a prayer in their tradition and another person to make a prayer in, in uh, their tradition. If, if the scenario, um, if the uh, situation uh, uh, permits that. But I am saying that um, uh, I haven't addressed my own answer to the question of do we all worship the same God? I'll get to that in a second. But I am saying in terms of participating, what I am not doing is I'm not lifting my hands. I might lower my head and, and stay out of the way and stay in, uh, inconspicuous while people are doing their things. You know, Cause I still, in the same way you all are speaking of these prayers is beautiful. Yeah, I'm also agreeing with the beauty of these prayers too. You know. Zeba. Asalaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Asalaam. So similar to, I think what, what Danya was mentioning, like I've been in situations where I've come into a patient's room and they're like, oh, can you please pray with us? And then I usually will join whatever they're doing. Um, but the thought then to me like that this discussion has brought up is like, are, are we then saying that all those people who are praying to someone different than, you know, just because it's not led by a Muslim or, you know, in the name of Islam or to Allah, are we saying that their prayers are going unanswered? Because to mm. me, I feel like if you're making these prayers, someone is still there to hear them. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we truly believe that he is, you know, Allah, he is the one who created everything, then why would he selectively hear some and not others? You know, so I feel like if a, a prayer is still being made, you know, I guess it goes back to the intention. Like I'm participating with my intention being I'm sending these words to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. um, but I, then I just question like, what, what is everyone else's prayers doing? Sure. So is it possible that those prayers are unheard? I think uh, that is absolutely possible. God is not obliged to respond to my own prayers to God. Is God obliged to respond to the prayers given to someone else? I'd say no. Now, having said that, uh, I do believe the answer is both yes and no in terms of do we believe in the same God. If, if we are speaking of the Father in Judaism and Christianity, that is, in my understanding, whom we refer to as Allah. Uh, and then if we speak of the one God as the creator of all, then it's the same God. But when we get into further attributes of God or the self-disclosure of God, then that's how we see the differences. And so the answer becomes yes and no. Right. Uh, I do hope that everyone's prayers, especially for good, are answered, but that is not my jurisdiction. We will see one of the ayahs we're going to get to later on. This is later on in Al-Baqarah. This is around Ayah 187, where Allah says, I answer the call of the caller when he calls. And it doesn't say I answer the call of the Muslim caller. Right? And a proof of that is the prayer of Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, praying to be shown where's the Zamzam. So the Zamzam well gets lost for a long period of time. Abdul Muttalib wants to find it. He makes a prayer to Allah. And then he even starts cutting a deal with Allah. If you show this to me, then I'm going to sacrifice a son. And, and so some will use that as a proof that Allah does answer the prayers of non-Muslims. I mean, that's an idol worshiper, right? 
what to think of someone who's people of the book. So it's Allah's jurisdiction whose prayers he answers and how he answers them. That's beyond my pay grade. It's beyond everyone's pay grade. But nevertheless, uh, but I, like I said, partially yes, partially no, we are believing in the same God. It gets down into the, the, the attributes as well as the, um, uh, the self-disclosure of God. And then from there, if it's an actual act of worship, then I don't participate. I do participate in the level of respect. So I've been in church many times. And when you're going up for the Eucharist, you go like this. And, and then uh, you're not expected to partake of the Eucharist and such. But all the standing and bowing, it's clear that I'm not a participant, but I'm still doing so out of respect. Malahat, Dr. Malahat. So um, the one of the attribute of the prayer is the sincerity. So if we unable to generate the sincerity within ourselves, is this fair ethically to be part, you know, to participate in those prayers with the other in, other faiths? That's number one question. Second is that you know you just mentioned about the idol worshiper. So in my line of field, when there is a new business open or something happened to the new department or something like that, the people say, come and pray, you know, for this area. And then they start for those, uh, the Hindu, Rasumat and all those things. And, you know, we just stand on the side of the room, but uh, it doesn't feel good to just leave the room. So these are the two scenarios I like to hear from you. Well, second scenario, we I think uh, we answered right. Do you leave right, the room or right. not? I don't think it's necessary to leave the room unless there is some ambiguity. But um, in terms of the sincerity question, uh, every single one of us can increase in sincerity, right? So that's uh, that's uh, 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 an endless road of more and more and more and more precision. And and so no, my my question about sincerity is that you know if we are if we are participating in the prayer into the monolithic religion. Um, I'm, I'll, if I be sitting there or standing there for any Christian prayers or Jewish prayer, then I'll be more worried about that, you know, what they're saying rather than praying with them. <laughs> so, so there goes your sincerity, right? That I'll be just listening to making sure that, you know, they're not using any, any word or any gestures, which is. Fair, but I think, I think that applies when you're at the masjid too, right? You know, <laughs> you know, what, what is this imam, what is this imam going to pray for? Right, the destruction of the American army, right? All that stuff, right? You know. <laughs> so I think that applies no matter who's who's leading the prayer. Sadiq. Salam. I had a question of uh, when there's a scenario of uh, gestures of respect in other cultures that we see of as, um, you know, ways of praying. So like bowing and doing such that. Um, and oftentimes in a recreational context, so like in martial arts, for example. So any thoughts you have there? I had a, a friend that I grew up with who, who has studied multiple martial arts, uh, Taekwondo and various Japanese martial arts. And like, I mean, he'll be at like the, his city's parade as part of like their shows, uh, but he never bows. And uh, he's all in in terms of the martial arts, except for the bowing. So take for that for whatever it's worth to you. You know, uh, you, uh, the meaning of these things, even standing up for things, that was uh, a big controversy when Mahmoud of the Rauf refused to stand for the flag back in 1996. And then he was convinced, okay, stand up and make dua. And so that's what he started doing. 
And so first he would, he would either not stand up or the flag is over here. He would face his back against the flag. And then it was creating all kinds of types of controversy. And it seemed like some people convinced, okay, you're creating the wrong type of controversy here. Just stand up and just lift your hands in prayer for America. And I think that's what he was doing instead. You know, so for that, I think uh, uh, that would be almost a case by case basis. I don't think if everybody knows your, what your beliefs are, uh, I don't think bowing is going to compromise your beliefs, uh, but Allah knows best. Khurram, and then we'll return to taqwa. So, so the point regarding that, if you are in a room um, uh, with, the, uh, with the other faiths, right? So, uh, and they are praying and, they, and it's a beautiful prayer and you want to pray. So why it will be, why can't you pray to Rakana full? there and like in it, the church well means uh, uh means it will be uh church will be like uh that is that is that is now i cannot answer that okay. i don't know <laughs> okay fair enough okay 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 so good discussion, Marshall. you want to say something else okay. means uh, means in a room like for example uh, there was uh, uh, like uh, or a uh, like for example just in a room or just walk up to spring. the member alhamdulillah <laughs> right yeah yeah. But so at least, uh, for example, so the other uh, uh, people of faith, they should, I think, uh, they might uh, consider it more uh, fruitful because you are going all the way and you're making a real prayer, prayer in your, uh, according to your faith, which is, which will have a more element of sincerity. I think. Yeah, possibly, but possibly not. In any case, okay. <laughs> coming <laughs> back. back to, to uh, the question of taqwa. So, la'allakum tattaqoon. Perhaps you may get taqwa, and let me, I lost the sharing thing again because technology is my non-forte. Okay, here it is. So, once again, you see one note? You see one note on the screen? Okay, good. Yep. So, Taqwa is one of the key terms to have in terms of our relationship with Allah. And again, taqwa is very commonly translated as fear of God in modern parlance, especially. But when we get into the roots and such, it's literally, it's protection or preservation or shielding yourself with Allah. Yeah. So... <clears throat> What we also have here, we said at the beginning of the surah, um, or if you open up the beginning of the surah, surah 2, it says this is guidance for those who have taqwa. And then here, that if you take Allah as your Rabb, if you are the Abd of your Rabb, then perhaps you will gain, you will develop taqwa. And then in the passages on fasting, I'm not going to point them out here, but uh, ayah 183 in this same surah, Fasting is prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you, so that so that you may get taqwa. Jihad is prescribed for you elsewhere in the surah, so that you may get taqwa. And jihad there is not struggle, it's fighting. And so, so what can we infer by this meaning of taqwa going back to the nature of dunya? That the design of dunya
it includes struggle. Right, this, if I'm shielding myself, I'm shielding myself from the arrows and weapons of the dunya, which means part of the design of dunya is to hit me with struggle. And so it's easy in modern American suburban Islam to forget that this is a central purpose of the world. The dunya being this worldly life that we're in. Part of the design is to hit you with struggle. And thus, if you have taqwa, if you are shielding yourself with God, then God willing, inshallah, you will be okay. But the point is you're going to be hit. So then what is taqwa in practice? Just like when we spoke about this first command, what is the first command in practice to be the abd of your rub is to have the consciousness that whatever Allah tells me to do, I'm going to do, try to do, and I will see it as beneficial. Taqwa in practice is what? That I'm always on guard. In public space, in private space, I'm always on guard. And this is why we commonly translate taqwa as being God conscious. So fasting is literally walking, living taqwa. Because when you're fasting, you're, you keep remaining conscious of the fact that you're fasting. You're remaining conscious of the fact that, all right, my, my little jug of water here, I can't fill. And then newers in this class. You know, this mug that she gave me, I can't fill as is my normal habits. So when I want you to answer questions, I just got to pretend that I'm drinking. But the point is that the act of fasting is the act of being on guard. And that is what taqwa is. And so now, if all of that makes sense so far, connect all this with the eyes we've covered so far. So now we have the basmallah plus the disconnected letters plus first command, which includes the hope for taqwa. What does this give me? Let's say the entire Quran is these three ayahs. Then describe what it is telling me about life. So, Bismillah, we have connection to Allah by way of his names, primarily Rahmah. Disconnected letters, we have the unknown, yet also what the Prophet is giving us, peace be upon him, transmitted and preserved by the community. And then this first command. Put it all together as though that's one revelation. Hold on. To make Ahant happy. Okay. MashaAllah, that's what I wanted to see. Okay. So, <laughs> put them all together.
what are we saying about how life operates? Okay, let's take a step back. Okay, Ahant, go for it. Dr. Ahant. So, I mean, especially if you transition to the disconnected letters and then you go to the uh, first command of taqwa, you know, I guess in my mind, it, it means life is uncertain, life has struggle. And rather than going about that in different ways and different you know, avenues, you shield yourself from that through consciousness of God. Yeah, yeah. very good. Now add Bismillah Rahim to it. Um, I mean, that just gives it a, an optimistic, positive connotation. Yes. Overall, in terms of, you know, you know, mercy, right? You can either view um, the unknown life that you're going to live, the uncertainty and the struggle as positive or negative. And then I feel like that will shape the way you use, you know, taqwa uh, 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 to shield yourself. Because if the if the if the basmala was not there, then you know you you know you can have different forms of of, of taqwa that you're not supposed to have. Okay, okay, very nice, Zishan. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is a combination of the taqwa question and the struggle question. Mm -hmm. So I think what what as I hear the conversation, the question I got was that if you are continuously conscious, do you ask your like how do you balance having the question that am I in ease mm -hmm. or am I currently in struggle? Because mm -hmm. you can have multiple things every day, absolutely, which is a bit of struggle. So I'm assuming that the the being cognizant. Like you should have a positive outlook. Like even if you're looking at like, hey, you shouldn't consider this as a struggle. It's more of like a ease for me mm -hmm. because there's like one thing is like a much larger impact. Like yesterday we or, or the day before we talked a lot about like loss and stuff, but that's like no, I know that's a lot, lot of like large amount of struggle. But even as simple as like I've got a tough job, I've got like this and do that can be minor forms of struggle. Do you see that as ease that yes god has given me Allah has given me a good job and i'm looking through it or is this like yes yeah, it's a struggle and i'm going to persevere through it mm -hmm. or is this being cognizant about it and having the discipline to be what ahan was talking about okay anyone else putting these three eyes together as though that is the entirety of revelation so what if we only have the first ayah as the entirety of revelation. So suppose all we have is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. What is that saying then about how reality operates? It's basically saying that we're seeking this connection with Allah by getting to know him. And the default relationship is one of him pouring mercy upon me through which I respond with gratitude, okay? If we then add the disconnected letters to it, then we're saying that in terms of the unknown, the default of the unknown is that its purpose is to bring me connection to God. And it is going to be an act of mercy. 
And the easiest way to think of struggle as an act of mercy is that whatever struggle I'm hit with, I could probably be hit with something even worse. Of course, that is not easy to do when I'm in the middle of the struggle. Okay. But that becomes my default on how to think of the unknown. That all that is in the unknown, if it is made to be known, it will be, the purpose is to connect me closer to a law. Like we use the term test or door. But it is, its thrust will be one of mercy. And then from there, if we add the third command, we're saying among those things in life, there are those things that Allah is telling me to do that I should aspire to fulfill. And then from there, as I'm obeying Allah, that is also going to make me stronger against these struggles that Allah is giving me. So even if it is hard for me to see them as mercy, I'm still developing the strength in dealing with his struggles. Any thoughts? Make sense? Sort of? Dr. Ahant. Um, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, oftentimes when you're in the movement or you're like in the middle of the struggle, it's hard to uh, go back to these mental pathways uh, to cope mm -hmm. and to have a, a perspective. Do you think that's where thicker comes in? I'm saying that's the point of taqwa. The point of taqwa is to develop the shield for when you are then hit. See what I'm saying? So, so, so like it's after you're hit, not during the hit. It's before you're hit. Okay. Does that make sense? So think of it this way. Okay. So, so uh, let's say uh, tomorrow, I, inf I inform you that tomorrow there is going to be a thunderstorm. Okay. So what are you going to do in response? You're probably going to check where your umbrella is. You're probably going to, um, you know, consider what clothing you're going to wear. And then let's say, I don't know when the thunderstorm is going to happen, but it's going to happen the next seven days. And so then you're getting your stuff ready for whenever it is the thunderstorm hits or may or may not hit. That's taqwa. Make sense? Yeah, so you're constantly referring back to these mental pathways even before they happen. You're it's making like them your default mental pathways in advance. Okay. Is that what we're saying? We're saying that scripture is telling us how reality operates. And part of how reality operates is you're going to be hit with struggle. And so you develop taqwa as part of that. Uh, Dania, Whitney, Shayla. If I missed some of you other ones, uh, please, you know, interrupt me again. Yeah. Dania. I have two more questions for you. Uh, the first is a more technical question um, for the disconnected letters. So, you know how um, when we read the Quran now, they are literally connected. Um, but we, when we recite them, we recite them 
disconnected. So how do we know that they're, well, I, why is it written that way? I guess that's my first question. Ah, great question. So why is it written that way? Allah knows best. Why is it recited that way? It's what we have preserved, what is handed down from the prophet, peace be upon him. So we call them disconnected, not because they're written disconnected. We call them disconnected because they don't form a word. Gotcha. Makes sense? Okay. My second question for you is, so these three are like the sum of revelation. Is, is that a correct understanding? So I'm saying hypothetically, imagine these are the sum of revelation. Okay. And, are and they we're gonna, yeah, go ahead. fully weighted? This is my question for you. So for our purposes, the first one is the heaviest. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. That's the flashlight for everything else. And then after that, Allah knows best. Gotcha. Thank you. Sure, inshallah. Whitney. Hey, I just, I guess I don't really have a question. I have a reflection. Um, and sure. as you're talking about like just the, um, you know, the well-trodden path of the mind, um, I just coming from a mental health background um, as a social worker, I love, I love thinking of Islam and the Quran as like all reinforcing that because really, so there's this concept in mental health called schemas and it's just, the, the reoccurring thoughts people always have, right? So like in the world of mental health, we think of things as like someone comes in because they're depressed and some of their mental schemas are, I, I um, am a terrible person. I always make mistakes. People can't depend on me. And the whole purpose of therapy is to change their mental schemas. And the whole purpose of Islam or religions in that matter um, is, is to change your mental schemas. And yeah, I know. I love it. And so, so yeah, I just, I really, uh, I mean, I guess it just fits my, my mental schemas to think of things in this way, because the more you reflect on these details in Islam, then the more prepared you are to deal with the hardships because they're already well-trodden paths in your mind. So, you, you know, you can't wait until a major loss to start reflecting on these things and find yourself very comforted. I mean, you might find some comfort, but if you've been reflecting on these concepts for years and really taken to heart what they mean and, and what the whole purpose of life is in that context, then when you hit hardship, you're going to find yourself in a place where you can get through it with relatively more ease than someone inshallah. who hasn't, inshallah. I mean, hard, hard hardship is hardship mm -hmm. um but but i just think it's a beautiful thing i just mm -hmm. wanted to share mashallah and then built in also in the basmala is that there's ease too and we spoke about how to respond to ease as well so both ease and the hardship very good shayla so um in the middle of last night i was like i woke up and i was like really having a hard time um accepting that taqwa was this like line this like linear line of like fear and hope and I was like well, what how do I conceptualize taqwa and I think it's more like um loving awareness is the way that I kind of see it which is like what you're saying about God consciousness and then I could kind of understand this fear and hope if I kind of think about if I have loving consciousness of Allah then if I'm faced like with a situation where I'm upset with my children, for instance, and I want to yell at them and get angry, go and then, I Pakistani. Think, <laughs> then I think, well, would that be pleasing to Allah, you know? And so that fear of that 
of me losing, you know, control of my temper is displeasing to Allah. And so then I'm going to choose the opposite, right? I'm going to say, okay, there's a better way to approach this situation. And, and if I'm not, you know, if I'm not conscious of Allah, I might just say, yeah, well, I'm justified and not be thinking of Allah and yell at them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, similarly, like, if I'm presented with an opportunity to give charity, right? Like I might not be thinking of Allah and I will say, well, no, and you're hanging on to my money, right? But if I have this constant awareness of Allah, I'm going to be guided to do what is pleasing to Allah. So I think in that sense, I was able to kind of understand how fear, how it's this balance of fear and hope, right? Like, I think in the end, we should have more hope than fear, right? Like, because we should be thinking of the positive, all the beautiful, you know, Rahman, how, every, how the Rahman encompasses any of the more severe names of Allah. Um, anyway, that was just my reflection. Very good. Anyone else? Before we close it off, and next time we'll get into our next ayah. So, sorry. Yeah, hold on. So at the end, actually, uh, what will be the, uh, the composition of a personality of a person after when you realize with all these characteristics, so what should be the ideal person would be in terms of the character? Um, well, I mean, fundamentally, so far, based on what we have, we'd speak of it as upright character, upright. And we're going to add more to this and keep that question in mind as we keep adding more ayahs. So, so you've all gotten over the last couple of days a sense of the approach we're taking in this class. Whereas with previous classes, here's a whole surah, and let's make sense of how it all fits together. In this class, imagine each of these revelations or the combination of them is the sum total of all revelation. What is the picture that is giving? What is that causing in me? And this first round is going to be ayahs directly focused on Allah. And then we'll speak about the Prophet, peace be upon him. Then we'll speak about the Ummah. And if time permits, we'll get into the Day of Judgment. Tosif, last comment. Uh, do you know what ne what's the next ayah? Oh, I absolutely know what the next ayah is. I'm just not telling you. <laughs> I can have some cliffhanger for every episode. Okay. All righty, inshallah. We will stop right here. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma. Glory to you, O Allah. Wa bihamdika. Praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka. We seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk. And we turn to you. May Allah tell reward you all, inshallah. And we'll continue tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well,